Welcome to the HR Chat Show, one of the world's most downloaded and shared podcasts designed for HR pros, talent execs, tech enthusiasts, and business leaders. For hundreds more episodes and what's new in the world of work, subscribe to the show, follow us on social media, and visit hrgazette.com. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bam, and joining me on this episode is Dr. Aliga Lafontaine, President at the Canadian Medical Association. Born and raised in Treaty 4 territory in southern Saskatchewan, Alika is an award-winning physician and first Indigenous doctor listed in the Medical Post's 50 Most Powerful Doctors. Hey Alika, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's an absolute honour to get you on the show. When I uh, reached out to the awesome team over at Collision, and we'll be talking about Collision shortly, about the prospect of getting you on as a guest, and they came back to say, yes, I nearly fell out of my chair. So thank you very much for your time. Beyond my reintroduction there, why don't you start by introducing yourself to our audience? Yeah, so Alika LaFontaine, I grew up in uh, Regina, Saskatchewan, you know, homeland of of the Métis. I, I can trace my ancestry back to, to Red River. You know, political advocacy has been a big part of my family, but I was the first one in my family to actually go into the field of medicine. So... Uh, I've had a lot of challenges and opportunities as a result of that choice. And in the past year, I've had the amazing opportunity to be president of the Canadian Medical Association and really be a part of the discussion of how to transform a system to make sure that the people that it serves, serves better and the people that work in it can really thrive. And so it's great to have this conversation today. Thanks for tuning in to the HR Chat Podcast. If you're enjoying this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe and leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. And now, back to the conversation. Now, as part of my homework ahead of our call, I was uh, trawling through your LinkedIn profile and looking at some of your recent posts. And in a recent post, you write the following. I was admitted to medical school through an affirmative action program. We need to change the conversation around affirmative action and meritocracy. The current narrative presumes applicants aren't qualified. We are, and sometimes we're very overqualified. Let's also be blunt about merit. It's subjective, it can be gained. Meritocracy is whatever the person in charge thinks is valuable. And as statistics show, decision makers remain white and male. It's human nature, you say, to value what is familiar and devalue what is not. I wonder, could you now share more about your experiences and why you believe we need to change the narrative around affirmative action and meritocracy? I I think to to the general Canadian, it it feels like a lot of systems are broken right now, right? And and the reason why I start off the answer to the question that way is that the, the whole point of intervening in systems, whether it's who gets trained to then provide the services, how they provide services, you know, how we measure outcomes, distribute funding, build infrastructure, all that really depends on whether or not the system is achieving its desired outcome. You know, and so I, I think when I was I was writing that, it was in response to the SCOTUS decision down south about affirmative action and its role in 
admitting folks to higher education. And the, the, the reason why representation in different systems is so important is I, I really think these the systems, they, they aren't serving the people well. You know, we, we wouldn't actually have this discussion about affirmative action if things like healthcare actually provided good access, uh, both now and historically, to persons who uh, don't live in, in big cities, who come from high socioeconomic backgrounds, um, who are non-racialized. You know, the, these are all the layers that we hear over and over again of people who are, you know, disadvantaged or have worse health outcomes. But the, the truth is, it's really because we design systems this way. You know, if you look at the way that healthcare has been built across the country, for example, you don't actually see much health infrastructure at all on reserve. You know, and then people wonder why is there such bad out health outcomes for folks who live on reserve? You know, we we here in Grand Prairie, where I live and work, we're in the middle of the the forest fires that happened, you know, earlier earlier in the, the summer and the late spring. And one of the statistics that I came across was, you know, if you're on reserve, you have an 80x chance of having your house burned down. You know, people, if you interrogate the number, you'll, you'll realize the reason why is there's no fire departments, like there's no fire infrastructure if things start to burn. And so, you know, going back to affirmative action, it's, it's really important to, to recognize that the reasons why these programs exist is because the services aren't actually achieving the outcomes for the people that, that they're supposed to. You know, and, and I would say that in, in my own journey through through healthcare, um, it, it's clear that these these programs still struggle to recruit folks. You know, when when I got into medicine at the University of Saskatchewan, you know, I applied with a with a GPA that was like a 4.0. I had a good MCAT score, which is the medical college admissions test. I had papers under my name, I'd done a ton of research, obviously a ton of volunteer work and you know, had won different awards. I, I was a pretty good candidate on paper, but I, I just never would have considered becoming a part of that system because not only did it not serve the people that I loved and cared about and grew up around, I, I didn't see myself as part of that system because there was no one else like like me there. And in the first year of medical school, I actually was the only Indigenous applicant. Let's now talk a little bit about Collision, the, the recent Collision conference in Toronto. Uh, there you were part of a panel discussion on Indigenous data sovereignty. Uh, can you can you tell us a bit more about the, the discussion? So the, the discussion really centered around the importance of having people at the table when it comes to data and the value that comes out of that data, uh, a part of the discussion. You know, I, I think we've gone through a series of realizations with these services that that uh, we know are free. I mean, it's very common for the the average Canadian now to recognize that if a service is free, you're you're probably the product. Do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> having having folks recognize that, and then also be placed in a position where they can start to define that sort of value, I, I think is really really important. We also got into discussions around infrastructure. You know, the need to make sure that people can participate in the digital economy. Uh, you, you need infrastructure in place to do that, including things like broadband. And then we we talked a bit about skills development and the need to ensure that folks from communities that that want to be engaged actually uh, are are a part of the economy. You know, not only people that provide it, but also build these businesses. And 
you know, do this training, et cetera. And so it was, a, it was a pretty broad ranging conversation, but at the end of the day, it, it recognizes that with this digital transformation that the world is going through, if we don't focus on supporting indigenous communities and nations and being a part of that, uh, we will widen those disparities that exist already economically, health-wise, and in many, many other fields. In the fast-changing new world of work, organizations that want to succeed must support their teams to develop the right skills for today and for the future. As practical learning experts, Holt EF Corporate Education helps organizations and employees of all levels to develop the critical business skills, attitudes and behaviors they need to be successful. We combine the expertise and agility of a boutique learning partner with the resources of a trusted, global organization. Learn more at HoltEF.com. So maybe, maybe you could talk a little bit more about how acute those disparities are at the moment, particularly in the, in the healthcare field. Can, can you talk to that? So we, we do know that uh, in, Indigenous communities lag behind with a lot of the indicators that we look at, things like chronic diseases, like diabetes, you know, uh, heart disease, uh, among other things. We, we know that when it comes to acute harm that happens, so if you have a stroke or you have a heart attack, that people tend to be further away from healthcare. Uh, and with that, that farther distance and that lack of access, people often have worse health outcomes. We also know that uh, Indigenous peoples generally have a, a much more likely chance of, of having negative experiences, you know, not only in the way that they, they interact, but also whether or not they're given the same sorts of options as, as other folks. And when they choose those options, that they, they get the same sort of support. And so I, I think when it comes to healthcare in, in general, when it comes to uh, Indigenous peoples, you know, the, the disparities are not only stark, but they're, they're also broadly applied across all the different types of ways that you could measure. Let's uh, switch topics now. You were in Winnipeg uh, recently, uh, July 10th through to 12th, for the Premier's Council of the Federation's, Federation meetings. Prior to these meetings, the CMA issued a series of recommendations for Premiers to consider. Can you tell us about some of those recommendations now? There's been an ongoing conversation about, you know, the crisis in healthcare. And the the average person who accesses healthcare nowadays, I think, has a fairly negative experience. You know, I just spoke about Indigenous patient experiences. You know, I think a lot of folks are actually experiencing what Indigenous peoples have experienced for, you know, many, many years. And in, in leading up to this conversation, there's been a shift in, in what we've been focusing on as far as messaging. You know, first focusing on making sure that People recognize that not only this this crisis needs to be acknowledged, but it's not the same sort of crisis as what's happened in the past. Advocating for resources to be set aside, that, that did happen in the last federal budget. And then now focused on making sure that people collaborate and coordinate with each other as we solve these big problems that we're all kind of trapped in together. And I, I think coming out of the meeting, one of the things that I, I become very optimistic about as a result of the discussions is that, you know, premiers do get that we we have this crisis and they can't fix it alone. You know, um, we, we've had previous cycles of, of positive change in healthcare. I know it's hard to, to think about that in the midst of, you know, going to an emergency room and waiting 18 hours or not having, being one of those, those 
more than 6 million Canadians who don't have access to a primary care provider. But in the past, when we, we've had good investments, like back in 2004, it was the second largest investment in healthcare by the federal government uh, at that point. Um, we, we did see people start to, to come together and start to collaborate. We, we had the first minister's accord that came out in 2007. We had the Wait Times Alliance. You know, between that time and, you know, around 2011, 2012, it really felt to a lot of us that things were actually getting better. But then people kind of got up and just left the table. They started to be competitive again and, and non-collaborative. You know, people started to create their own siloed solutions. And, and we had almost a decade where we were focused on the wrong things and we were, we didn't we didn't work together. And so I, I think the, the optimism really takes its root in having the 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 words and uh the focus on on things like collaboration and coordination because that that's the only way that we're going to get out of this crisis okay so are you satisfied that the premiers are working to improve the health systems across the country in a meaningful way uh you've said lots of nice things um but do you do you think there's actually actually going to be movement happening yeah i think there's a big difference between optimism and satisfaction so I'll be satisfied when the problems are solved. You know, when, when I talk to, uh, you know, just the average patient across the country and they tell me, you know, I, I'm satisfied with the, the amount of time that it takes me to uh, be seen and emerge. I can get access to a family doc. You know, I don't have to spend days and days trying to go through multiple different doors to try and find the care that I need for myself or a loved one. You know, I think at that point, that that's when you become satisfied. Now that is way off into the future. You know, I think one of the realities of how severe the crisis is, is that it's it's going to take months to years to actually solve a lot of these problems. And it's going to re require much more than just words. But I, I will tell you that the optimism, though, and hearing premiers make public statements, and, and to be clear, they haven't made these kinds of statements in the past. You know, th this is a pivot. You know, even having the presence of healthcare integrated into other things. You know, they, oh, the statement that came out after the, the council meeting was focused on things like infrastructure, but a recognition that with that infrastructure, healthcare has to be a part of, of not only the planning around energy corridors, but also how are we going to manage patient access across the country as well. I, I think for that, I can be optimistic, but I'm definitely not satisfied until the problem is actually solved. We're about to wrap up. Before we do, how can how can our listeners connect with you? Is that through LinkedIn? Do you want to share your email? Anything else there? And uh, anything else they should know? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if if folks would like to learn more about the Canadian Medical Association, they can go to cma.ca um, and and contact uh, you know our, our our organization through there. Uh, if you want to connect individually with me, I, I have a LinkedIn, just uh, a leak MD. If you want to check me out on Twitter, that, that's where I, I tend to have most of my one-to-one -one communication, although I am like hundreds of millions of other users trying out threads, you know, so <laughs> my username there is AlikaMD as well. Um, but I, I think that being a part of the conversation is incredibly important. And if you're looking at the reasons behind why things are changing, it's because patients are speaking up, talking about their experiences, and providers are speaking up talking about their experiences. And that, that's the root of all the change that we need. And, you know, that that really needs to be the focus for folks like myself and, and other leaders across advocacy organizations, really supporting the people who are doing the work and experiencing the harm in, in getting their voices heard by people who can do something about it, like our premiers. 
Uh, and before we wrap up, if there's anything else that we at the HR can, uh, Gazette can do to, to help spread the word, um, by all means, please do put your team in, in contact. Um, um, so much respect for, for you and your team. Uh, that just leaves me to say for today, Dr. Alika Lafontaine, thank you very much for being my guest. Thanks for having me. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thanks for listening to the HR Chat Show. If you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe and listen to some of the hundreds of episodes published by HR Gazette. And remember, for what's new in the world of work, subscribe to the show, follow us on social media, and visit hrgazette.com.